When we're always so focused on just the stuff that needs to happen right now that we need to take care of, the fires that need to be put out, and we're never giving ourselves a bigger target to aim for, um, it's easy to feel like we're spinning around in circles and it's easy to feel stuck. If you've had some setbacks in your life, Ruth Sukup understands that she had pretty much her whole life crash down around her. And as she built it back up, she learned what it meant to uh, be resilient. And she wrote a book about it called Do It Scared. And that's why she's in the 32nd Book Club this week. And first, Ruth, you talk about in the book all the different fear archetypes. And you actually, I, I didn't think, I didn't realize this, but this is one that I struggle with. And I guess a lot of people do because there's actually one that is more, um, not more popular, but more prevalent than any of the other ones. What is that? And, and how do we overcome that? So I'm assuming that you're talking about the procrastinator archetype. Yes. Also known as the perfectionist. And the underlying fear there for the procrastinator slash perfectionist is the fear of making a mistake. And you are absolutely right. It is definitely the most common of all the seven archetypes. What's your number one tip for someone who says, ah, I'm a procrastinator? <laughs> How do I stop procrastinating? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's interesting because a lot of people are surprised when they then when they get that diagnosis, um, so to speak, as a procrastinator because a lot of perfectionists don't necessarily think of their perfectionism as procrastination, but it really kind of works in the same way. So as a procrastinator slash perfectionist, one of the things that I really recommend doing is you know, the diagnosis, first of all, is the first step in finding the cure. So once you can start to recognize how those patterns are affecting you and playing out in your life, so if you tend to be overly researching everything or always needing to prepare, needing to be organized, um, one thing that I recommend is, is, is practice making mistakes or practice doing things not perfectly. Maybe start with the small things and work on building up that immunity to this fear because the more that you do it and the more that you practice it and consciously practice it, the more you'll be able to overcome it in bigger ways in your life. You also talk about in the book that it's important to have goals and to think big. And then you even go into a little more detail about a stretch goal. What does that look like? Oh, stretch goals are so, so, so important. And I think that so often for most of us, we focus on the here and now and the things that are right in front of us. We get, you know, life is busy and most of us have a lot to do. There's no shortage of, of all the daily grind of the things that we need to be keeping up, keeping up on in our life. But the problem with that is that when we're always so focused on just the stuff that needs to happen right now that we need to take care of, the fires that need to be put out, and we're never giving ourselves a bigger target to aim for, um, it's easy to feel like we're spinning around in circles and it's easy to feel stuck. Uh, there's so much research that shows that humans are actually happiest and feel most at peace with themselves when they're striving for something that's bigger than themselves. And so when it comes to making big goals, that's, I'm such a firm believer in that because I see the power of that for people, that the feeling in the sense that you're going after something that's bigger than just your day-to-day. Even so, so often for so many of us, it's very hard, first of all, to give ourselves permission to think big. We often will self-edit our thoughts before we've even given ourselves a chance to think them. So as soon as like that kind of tiny thought pops up into our brain, immediately we go into, well, I don't even know how that would be possible, or I don't have any time, or I can't, I, there's no way I would be able to do that. And a lot of the time, it's our specific fear archetype that's talking us, talking us down and saying, no, 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 you can't do that. So first it starts with giving yourself permission to actually think big and to start setting these bigger targets. 
But then from there, that's not enough. You can't just have the, have the target. You also have to understand how to connect that big goal into your daily actions. Because like I said, there's always so much to do that it's very hard to, without consciously creating an action plan that breaks down that big goal into smaller, more manageable bites that you can do every day and steps that you can take every day, it's the, the day-to-day busyness will always take over. So I actually walk you through a process um, that I call Think Big, Plan Small that starts with a big goal but then also breaks that down so that you can more easily connect your daily actions with the bigger things you want to accomplish in your life. And, I mean, you've accomplished some pretty incredible things, Ruth. And you, you, you're very uh, upfront about, you know what, a lot of things that happened in your 20s that um, led you to where you are now, including I, a chapter that I really could relate to, talking about rules are for suckers because I am a rule follower. And, uh, uh, but, you, <laughs> but you had a lot of things happen in your 20s that helped you learn to not always follow the rules. I did, actually. So when I, was, when I was in my early 20s, I went through a really, really serious depression. Um, actually, it happened my senior year of college. Um, I attempted suicide, and that sort of put me down a path into this two-and-a-half-year battle with depression where I was in and out of hospitals. I had multiple suicide attempts, the most serious of which ended me in a, um, in a coma on life support with less than a 10% chance of waking up. And... Through all that, I think one of one of my big takeaways um, from just descending into this world of of madness and and psychiatric hospitals and being around depressed depressed people, other people who it was it's it's almost like a parallel universe. You know, in the in the normal world, we we all adhere to a set of social norms. We don't want to ever want to stray too far outside outside the lines, outside the box. But then when I found myself there, I, it was almost like I consciously realized, even in the, in, in the midst of this terrible depression that I was experiencing, I also realized that I had sort of jumped off the deep end and that the rules didn't apply anymore. And in a strange way, that was actually very freeing. Now, there was many other aspects of that, of the depression that were terrible, and of course, I would not wish wish that experience on anyone, but there was that part and that sense of realizing I've, I've now stepped so far outside of the lines of what anyone else would do that it kind of doesn't matter anymore. And um, I think that that has always been something that I've been able to carry, carry with me. And I do talk about that in the book that, you know, it's when I talk about rules being for suckers, this this little mantra that it's almost started as a joke, this rules are for suckers idea. It's not that all rules are bad, but I think so often in our lives we have we take things at face value because we do things because we think that they're supposed to be done that way or because everyone else is doing it that way or because somebody somewhere said that it was supposed to be done that way. And so Rules of Perceptors is really about trusting your own instincts and daring to think for yourself, daring to question authority. That doesn't mean always going against it every single time, but it does mean having the, having the wherewithal to know, to know and trust your own instincts. Then you talk about a little while later that it was, you know, the time that you went through depression, bankruptcy, divorce. I mean, you've gone through so much, but you say that uh, there's no mistakes, only lessons. And, and of anyone that can speak to it, I feel like that's you. How did you get to that point? <laughs> yes, I certainly have, have made my fair share of big, huge life mistakes. And that, 
that depression, it really was. It was two and a half years, and then it was another two and a half years of of really recovery and walking my way my way back through that. And honestly, I hit you know I hit rock bottom, and like you said, I was divorced. I filed for bankruptcy. I had basically alienated all. All, all of my friends and family and anyone who had ever cared about me through the course of that depression t- took on any amount of self-destructive, dangerous behavior I could in that time. And yet, and and really when I got to that point, I felt like I had ruined my life forever. I thought that there was no way I could ever, ever have any semblance of a normal life after that. I had screwed up so badly that there was no turning back. And yet, here I am now, 15 years later, and I have I, I'm right, just finished writing my sixth book. I've got this amazing company that I've grown from scratch. I've got, I have remarried. I have two amazing kids and I, a life that I truly, truly love. And I feel like if I can stand here in front of you saying, if I, if I can salvage all the mistakes that I've made, it doesn't really matter how badly you've screwed up. There is always there is always hope for you. And hopefully that comes through. That comes through. I really, truly believe that in my heart of hearts. There are no mistakes, only lessons. And every mistake we do make leads us to, it's a lesson that can lead us to the next thing. I think a lot of people would be excited that uh, you talk about balance because we're all trying to find that, but you kind of burst our bubble on the whole balance thing. (laughs) (laughs) I am not a big believer in balance because honestly, I, you know, I, in my community, I do I survey my my audience quite often, and balance is something that is almost always the top answer when I say, you know, what's your goal for the coming year? And balance, balance, balance. We have this almost mythical idea that we are supposed to be balanced in all areas of our life at all time, and this especially adheres to women. So we and then we suffer with from an extreme amount of mom guilt. For those of us who are moms, you don't have to be a mom to experience mom guilt, I believe. I think it's like just this guilt that we're doing it wrong and that we're not achieving this mythical idea of balance. But the reality is that I don't believe we're called to balance. I believe we're called to purpose. And the thing about balance is that if you're only striving to be perfectly balanced in all areas of your life, really what that means is you're perfectly balanced in mediocrity and you're never giving yourself the opportunity to be great in one area. So if you look at the people who are really accomplishing big things in their life, who are who, the people that we admire most and the people that we look up to, they're very rarely living a life that is perfectly balanced. They are going all in on the things that they are called to do. And I think when you can give yourself that permission to not be perfectly balanced in every single aspect of your life, but to just be okay or maybe even less than less than average in some areas so that you can go all in in other areas, that's when you give yourself the freedom to really achieve and to and to create a life that you love and that's meaningful to you. One more question for you, Ruth, and thank you so much for your time. It's been great, and your book is fantastic. Again, it's called Do It Scared, Finding the Courage to Face Your Fears, Overcome Adversity, and Create a Life You Love. And towards the end, you talk about the one thing that we can control as you talk about, or you talk about in the in the book also other places where you know you you shouldn't play the blame game and, and you should take responsibility. But I love that that idea of what's the one thing we can control. Yes, this is a conversation that I have with my two children almost every day, <laughs> but, and they often throw it back in my face. But you know, at the end of the day, the only thing that we can ever control 
is ourselves. You can't control how people treat you. You can't control what happens to you. You can't control what your how you grew up and your life circumstances. There's so much in our lives that is that is not within our control. But the one thing that you can control is how you respond to it and how you choose to respond. And so if you can take that approach to your life, this idea of taking complete and total ownership of everything that happens to you, it is life-changing and it is incredibly freeing because it means that you no longer have to be the victim of anybody else. It doesn't matter at that point then what happens to you or what people say to you or if somebody's mean to you or if something happens that's completely unfair because you still get to have the choice. You get to choose each and every day. And that is actually probably one of the most freeing decisions that you can ever make for yourself and also the most empowering. It is spring cleaning time. And if you feel like you just have too much stuff, and this might not just be in your closet, it might be in your life. Courtney Ellis's book is going to just transform your life. It's called Uncluttered. And she is going to be in the 30 Second Book Club podcast next week.